Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 147, A Faster Bumper Car. Hi, I'm Neil. Every once in a while, I love to take a step back from the details and look at the big picture. So maybe don't even look at just companies, but look at entire industries. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the tech industry and some of my observations about the industry. I see some changes taking place here. For the past decade, the giants, and we're talking about Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft, they have been able to grow while staying out of each other's lanes. It's been nothing short of remarkable. Things are starting to change, though. We are seeing the early signs of a new competitive landscape. Facebook and Google, they find themselves increasingly getting squeezed. Meanwhile, you see Amazon. Apple and Microsoft, each is gaining competitive strength. Each is building stronger customer bonds while also expanding their ecosystem. One of the best ways to visualize this dynamic, to visualize this changing competitive landscape, is to think of bumper cars. Growing up, the nearby amusement park had a bumper car ride that a lot of people didn't like. And it was because there was this guardrail positioned in the middle. And everyone thought that this was so boring because it forced everyone to go in the same direction around the guardrail. Now, of course, this was done on purpose by the amusement park to avoid head-on collisions. And if you try to go the other way, you're essentially kicked off the ride for the day. People still had fun. I mean, it's pretty difficult not to have fun on bumper cars. But it was pretty tame. I think that does a great job of explaining the tech industry for the past 10 years or so. So again, think of the bumper cars as companies, as the giants. In the beginning... The bumper cars were on a track with a guardrail in the middle, preventing any head-on collisions. So all of the cars moved slowly around the loop in the same direction. So sure, there were a few bumps here and there, but each company, each car, was able to largely do what it wanted without running into many competitive hiccups or obstacles. I think that dynamic has changed. The guardrail found in the middle of the track has been removed. Head-on collisions are becoming more common since there's no longer a right or wrong direction. This brings up memories of the largest amusement park in my region where you did have bumper cars that did not have any guardrails and it really was a free-for-all. And I do think it was a little bit more fun. So this raises a question. Where did the guardrail go? It was destroyed by Apple and Amazon. Each one of those companies are on a quest to strengthen their respective ecosystems. Apple now finds itself in a league of its own when it comes to wearables. We also have Apple reaching far beyond its core competency when it comes to building out a content distribution arm that's based on curation. Look at Amazon. It's a very similar situation. Here you have a company acquiring Whole Foods, Ring, Wi-Fi routers. These are acquisitions that end up being byproducts of 
Amazon's singular goal to remove as many friction points as possible when it comes to online commerce. Amazon wants to know more about its customers in order to then be in a better position to sell products. This brings us to differences between the actual bumper cars. Since that middle divider, that middle guardrail has been removed, what's happened is you're able to see a bigger difference between the slower cars and the faster cars. In the beginning, since everyone was going around the track at roughly the same pace in the same direction, it was really difficult for the faster cars to show their advantage, to show their speed. They were held back in a way. And I think it ended up helping the slower cars. The slower cars are Google and Facebook. They're cars that are fueled by ad revenue. Those cars are no longer able to hide within the traffic. They're increasingly vulnerable, getting hit from multiple directions by the faster, more nimble cars. Amazon, Apple, Microsoft. These faster cars are fueled by non-ad revenue. And I also think that these faster cars have become much more strategic in deciding when and how to go after the slower cars. Taking a look at the broader tech landscape, a number of interesting battles have been unfolding. Google is being attacked by Amazon, Apple, and Facebook across a number of segments and industries, ranging from AI to digital voice assistance to digital mapping, hardware. Facebook is being attacked by Apple, When it comes to content delivery and private communication, Apple continues to face some skirmishes with Facebook, Google, also Amazon and Microsoft when it comes to hardware. You also have Amazon and Microsoft having their own unique battle when it comes to providing tools for businesses. Now, some of these battles have been going on for a while, but Amazon and Apple are beginning to land serious punches in these battles. I think Apple shocked everyone when it came to finding success in the area of written content distribution with Apple News. Go back a couple years. Who would have expected something like Apple News? We then have iMessage and FaceTime. They're continuing to gain momentum. I think they represent legitimate competition for traditional social networks. Amazon is increasingly becoming a thorn in Google's side when it comes to user data collection via subsidized or low-cost services. Out of all those battles, three stand out to me. Apple versus Google, Apple versus Facebook, and Amazon versus Facebook versus Google. So that one is a a very large battle. And I wanted to go over each one of those in a little bit more detail. The first, Apple versus Google. We need to begin at a very basic level. Google is a services company focused on offering free data capturing tools to as many people as possible. While Google has its hands in a lot of different things, in a lot of different buckets, 
when you boil things down, I think it comes back to that one definition. Everything is in support of these free data capturing tools. The necessity found with such a mission is having access to as many users as possible. That seems very obvious, but it's extremely important. This is where Google finds itself in growing trouble. Apple is gaining power as a gatekeeper between Google and the most valuable customers that Google needs for its services, Apple users. When we look at Apple, you have a design company tasked with coming up with tools capable of changing people's lives. These tools include a portfolio of hardware, software, and services. Apple is showing increased interest in stepping into Google's turf and launching its own services where it feels it has something different to bring to the table. What are some of those differences? What represents unique attributes found with Apple services? It could be everything from having that much needed layer of design, another way of saying a focus on the user experience, which I do think Google continues to struggle with with its services. We could be talking about data privacy and security. We also could be talking about something as simple but incredibly important as integration with hardware and services and software. Five years ago, the discussion was about Apple facing the risk of Google turning off its services to Apple users. We can go back to the launch of Apple Maps, the infamous launch of Apple Maps, and the motivation behind Apple getting into Maps. The idea that Google Maps would be in some way inferior on Apple devices And I think Apple also saw that going forward, you really needed to control your own mapping. Mapping was essentially a core technology. So the risk of Google turning off its services to Apple users, I think that has diminished. In fact, the reverse is true. I think Apple is now in the position of power when we're talking about Apple versus Google. Google would find itself in deep trouble if its arrangement regarding default search on iPhones and iPads was put into jeopardy. Some of you may be asking, well, what changed here? What, that seems like a pretty significant adjustment in just a couple of years. What could have caused that? I think we have to look at what Apple's been doing. This is a company leveraging its hardware and software expertise to create a stronger ecosystem of products. What that's done is given Apple the ability to strengthen its customer relationships while still attracting new customers. That's the important thing. There's no evidence to suggest that Apple has in some way reached a peak audience and that the install base will now decline or even just plateau. The growth is there. If we had to say all of this another way, the Apple ecosystem is gaining strength, 
And that strength is now beginning to extend to the adoption of Apple services. Again, if we go back a couple of years, most people, the consensus view, particularly in tech circles, was that the best course of action would be to buy Apple hardware, but then use Google services on that hardware. Now, maybe some people in tech still think that, and I would imagine many people in tech may still think that. But when you move outside of those tech circles, I don't think that view of using Apple hardware with Google services is as popular or is as widespread as it was a couple of years ago. Instead, I think Apple services adoption is improving. We are at that time of the year when each one of these companies' ecosystem is on display. Of course, I'm talking about developer conferences. And each company kicks off their developer conference with a keynote. So far this year, we've seen keynotes from Facebook, Microsoft, and Google. I did publish my thoughts and takeaways from those three keynotes. I published it in a daily update that was sent to Above Avalon members, so I'll include a link to that in the show notes. For this year's Google I.O. keynote, I wanted to do something different because in previous years, I saw how Google would really put a lot of focus on the demos. So this was showing off either Google Assistant, voice recognition, AR through smartphone cameras. For this year, I wanted to take in the demo, but not reach any firm conclusion until maybe a day or two later. Because I wanted to see how my opinion of that demo would actually end up. I've been playing around with a few theories regarding how people may initially perceive demos and then how that perception is days, weeks, or months later. And this isn't just for Google. This is really for every company, including Apple. What ended up happening with the Google I.O. demos is they weren't memorable. Sure, the technology was interesting, it was intriguing, but the demo, the way Google took that technology and put it in a way where it's going to be used by users, by humans, there was just something about these demos that didn't sit the right way with me. And I thought about it a little bit more, and it occurred to me that what Google was doing was relying on what it knows best, data collection, and elevating technology over the user experience. I don't think either one of those is a winning strategy on its own. Google's missing something. And then what I did was I recalled a recent disclosure from Apple regarding the iPhone install base. And while everyone focused on one number, that the iPhone install base was now greater than 900 million people, that's another way of saying there are 900 million people using iPhones. There was another disclosure that I found just as fascinating. Apple said that the iPhone install base grew by almost 75 million people in 2018. Now, That's interesting because there's only two groups of people that make up that 75 million. 
you either have Android users or you have people with iPhones that they acquired through the gray market. So these are not iPhone users who went directly to Apple or a third-party retailer and bought a new iPhone. So maybe they purchased it as a used phone. Maybe they had a hand-me-downs from their family member. Well, when you look at the 75 million new people to the iPhone store base, according to my estimates, approximately 40 million of those users switched from Android in 2018. And that's a net number. So even if you're assuming a certain number of iPhone users switched, 40 million would be net. So the net migration was 40 million to iOS from Android. That tells me one thing. Google continues to lose its grip on the premium segment of the mobile market. We then turn to Apple versus Facebook. This battle has been the most surprising, given how few people saw Apple having any overlap with Facebook. Go back a couple of years. Some people were busy suggesting that Apple needed to buy its way into social networking with a flashy acquisition. Instagram comes to mind. That's the one where I heard a lot of people saying, Apple needs to buy this one, or Apple should have bought this one. Well, while they were busy suggesting that, Apple was quietly putting together the foundation of a different kind of social network. iMessage and FaceTime comprise Apple's identity network. So while Facebook evolved to offer this curated version of the web via newsfeed, Apple bet on the relationships that actually matter to people. Family and close friends. We now see Facebook pivoting to a privacy-focused social platform that's built around messaging. It's a logical decision from Facebook. And as Mark Zuckerberg has said time and time again now, (laughs) it's going to be a challenge. There's no question that Apple had the right strategy here, while Facebook found itself going down the wrong path. I do think Messenger and WhatsApp will now be increasingly positioned against iMessage and FaceTime. We can look at Apple News. Apple was able to crack content distribution in a way that Facebook failed at miserably. The secret ended up being human curation, not machine learning. Now, sure, Apple has struggled to scale Apple News. And that very likely represents a reason why it wasn't likely Facebook would ever come up with something like Apple News, where human creation was placed ahead of machine learning. But you do see Apple making progress on expanding Apple News, with the latest country getting Apple News being Canada. I use Apple News every day. I think it's one of the best news services Apple launched from scratch in recent years. We now turn to the third battle. Facebook versus Google versus Amazon. In the battle for commerce, these three companies are increasingly becoming competitors. And the battle for ad revenue is only the tip of the iceberg. I'm going to cut to the chase. At a fundamental level, Amazon is trying to systematically remove Google and Facebook from a customer's memory when it comes to buying products online. 
Now, we look at Facebook, and they have a renewed push to position Instagram and Facebook, the app, and the website as commerce platforms. So it's safe to say that things are going to get extremely interesting and dicey in the race for users' attention. I think this commerce battle between Facebook, Google, and Amazon also extends to the home. The three companies are targeting the home with hardware devices, speakers, screens, and all these other smart home devices, because the home has become an e-commerce engine. We are likely to buy many products online within our home. In addition, our home is a delivery point for all of those goods. We are moving to the point where a consumer will have the opportunity to go all in on something that you could call an Amazon home. Echo speakers, microphones, locks, a security system, a Wi-Fi router, various third-party smart appliances, all with Alexa built in, all connected to Amazon. If you're Google or Facebook and you're targeting those same users and that same data, What are you going to do? One potential area of pushback to all of my comments so far would likely come from tech proponents who argue that Google is building an insurmountable advantage against peers when it comes to data capturing services. So such a view could be described or called as the data is everything school of thought. For example, we could be talking about various voice advocates or those pushing self-driving cars. Those are the groups that will likely take issue with the claim that Google is somehow losing power in mobile. My response is that the fundamental issue that advocates of specialized tech verticals suffer from is not thinking enough about the user experience. And so we could look at a few points here. More people are switching from Android to iOS rather than the other way around. That sure doesn't support the view that consumers are clamoring to use Google services, given the significant advantage the company has from a data perspective. We can look at Pixel smartphone sales being lackluster, smart speakers being primarily used for music consumption, and not much more. These items speak to a broader disconnect that I think has developed between this data is everything school of thought and how people actually use technology. And I think it's interesting when you go into a little bit more detail of what was announced at Google I.O. and Google is actually trying to copy or trying to use some of the strategies Apple has been using when it comes to data. For example, trying to do more with less data. I found that very intriguing. Now, up to now, most people would position Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft as equals when it comes to ecosystem strength and fundamentals. I don't think that is correct. And so the way I see it, two tiers have formed. Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft are in the top tier, while Google and Facebook make up the bottom tier. Google's gradually losing its power in mobile as Apple and Amazon consolidate power within their own realms. You then have Facebook's business model coming under fire on all sides. 
Now, it's interesting how the two companies that originate the vast majority of their revenue from ads appear to be in the toughest positions going forward. Hmm. Looking out ahead a little bit, I don't think the rivalry between Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft is really going to be that interesting or, or the focus here. And so the interesting developments will be found between the two tiers. So the top tier competing against the bottom tier. As Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft continue to strengthen their ecosystems, I think a byproduct would be each company wanting to control more of the key attributes powering those ecosystems. So that leaves Google and Facebook increasingly on the outside looking in. One of the last topics that I want to talk about today has to do with Apple's licensing relationship with Google. I think it's going to be put in a brighter spotlight going forward. According to my estimate, Apple is receiving approximately $9 billion per year of licensing revenue from Google to be the default search provider on iPhones, iPads, and for Siri. That's actually a few billion dollars less than the amount of revenue Apple is taking in from the App Store each year. That's not including all of the revenue that is transacted through their App Store, but just the revenue that Apple reports, basically Apple's share of the revenue. Now, Apple is increasingly being called a hypocrite in some circles for talking extensively about having a culture based on privacy, while at the same time taking billions of dollars from Google to literally get in front of Apple users' eyes. In my view, the issue is not so cut and dry. There's a critical angle to this topic that is rarely mentioned. Apple users do have the option to choose their own default for search. And I think Apple's licensing arrangement with Google is also likely tied to the number of users who actually use Google for search. And so that adds an interesting dynamic here. Because when we're thinking about the long-term viability of Apple's licensing relationship with Google, it is actually in Apple's best interest, at least in my opinion, to move users off of Google services instead of canceling or ending the licensing arrangement. And what that means is that the amount of money Google's paying Apple to be the default search provider could actually still increase over time, even though the number of Apple users using Google search could be declining. In that scenario, Google has little or no choice but to continue paying more to access what would be a declining portion of the Apple install base. And again, this goes back to some of the points earlier in this episode. As Apple looks to strengthen its ecosystem, I think that motivation is really going to put Apple head-to-head with Google. And we're not just talking about search, but this broader idea of services being positioned as a way of increasing value found with hardware. I think mobile mapping would be a great example of this. Given where Apple is headed from a product perspective, we're talking about wearables and longer-term transportation. You look at Google, transportation is, of course, an interest. 
I still think they're going to have to come up with something with wearables. I know they're not getting any success. They're not getting any traction with smartwatches. But when we're talking about smart glasses and eventually AR glasses, Google has to be playing in that in some fashion. Mobile mapping is going to play a critical role in many of those products. And to have the Apple user base, hundreds of millions of users who are going to be using Apple Maps, that's a huge loss from Google's perspective. And I don't think we've really contemplated how big of a loss something like that is. And if we extend that exercise to other core services, which I do think Apple is going to go after themselves, that's where I think that this battle is going to get pretty brutal. And it really does mark a, a significant change versus what we have seen more recently. We would have to go back to the late 2000s to really see a similar ugly battle between Apple and Google. This brings us to the final point for this episode. Instead of looking for a company to implode as a result of this changing competitive landscape, I like to think of it as tectonic plates shifting, I think the equivalent of an earthquake or a volcano would be something like Facebook and Google pivoting their privacy. So similar to earthquakes and volcanoes, Pivots are natural. They're essential. There's nothing inherently wrong with a pivot. But I think what ends up happening is that pivot shows the competitive dynamic is changing. And I think value is going to be found in assessing how such pivots will change the overall landscape. We may never return to an environment in which the five giants were able to thrive next to each other peacefully. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoyed the analysis and perspective found in this podcast episode and in the weekly articles available over at AboveAvalon.com, and you want more of this throughout the week, I do publish daily updates containing my exclusive analysis and perspective on Apple. Each update is sent via email. Updates are about 2,000 words, and I typically cover three stories in each update. I'll cover everything from Apple business and strategy analysis to my perspective and observations on various news events, Apple competitors, key things I'm seeing in various industries. Of course, we talk about Apple earnings and financial estimates if it is of interest to Apple, it is something I pay attention to. The daily updates represent the cornerstone of Above Avala membership. So in addition to receiving the daily updates, members have access to my working Apple earnings model and also my exclusive reports. So these are deeper examinations into Apple's business strategy. Both of those items are available to members at no additional cost. In addition, as a member, you have access to the forum, so you can chat with other Above Avalon members. There is an archive available, so you can read daily updates previously sent to members, and there are even additional privileges and benefits associated with membership, such as priority email access, 
You also receive the weekly articles via email. That is an exclusive feature that's just available to Above Avalon members. For more information on Above Avalon membership and to become an Above Avalon member, head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. There are two membership options available. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. On that page, there are also some sample daily updates that you can view so you could get a feel for how each daily update is set up. And while you're on AboveAvalon.com, if you check out the daily updates page, you will be able to see all of the various headlines of the stories that are covered in the daily updates. So I think that gives you a pretty good representation of all of the various topics that are covered in the daily updates. Simply put, I talk about a lot of different things. I am proud to say that Above Avalon is fully sustained by memberships. So if you are already an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. And if you are thinking about becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later.